0: As we do that, guess what? It's December. Can you believe it? It's already December. Some of us, uh, some of our kids are celebrating birthdays because they got their December birthdays. Uh, My nephew just had a birthday recently. Um, My sister-in-law has a birthday next week. I don't know how we're going to do all of this stuff. Uh, I had a friend growing up whose birthday was December 31st, I think it was. Um, And so he always had Christmas and birthday together kind of combined and all that stuff. But we're looking at Christmas, though, right? I mean, all this excitement is going on, or maybe there's dread. I don't know. I don't know if if when the Christmas holidays come along, there's any sort of um, fear and trepidation. Um, Maybe you're wondering... um, how are we going to get through this month? I mean, there's all this extra stuff going on and all of these expectations. Um, how's the budget going to stretch all the way through to December 31st? Um, maybe, maybe you prepare by doing a lot of decorating. Maybe you prepare by doing some baking. Maybe you do some shopping. Maybe you go to parties. Maybe you do all of those things, right? One of the ways that... Um, that our family usually prepares um, is we hang up lights. You get those lights up all over the, the, the building. My wife wants to have the string of lights so our house looks a little bit festive. And so last year I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I get, I'm going to get this done. Three weeks before Christmas, the lights are up. And about three weeks into June, the lights came down. And um, so Maybe maybe it's like that for you. Um I, uh, I I hope that you take them down a little bit earlier than that. Well, there's all this sense of preparation. There's all this anticipation. There are all these wonderful things that we're excited about. In fact, we want things to be cheery and bright. And that's why we put a tree in our homes. And that's why we put the lights up in the decorations. And that's why we play the Christmas music. Because we like that happy feeling. We want that. But... When the uh, message of Christmas was announced, when the sun was announced, when 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 Christmas was being anticipated, it was anticipated at a time of dread and dreariness. It was kind of like, um, uh, not to put anybody on the spot, but I know somebody who's going to be moving to Portland soon, and it's kind of like winter in Portland. It's dreary and gloomy. And, and... That's kind of what this announcement was like at the beginning. The hope of Christmas actually came and was announced during the time of probably the greatest, or the, one of the darkest times of the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at that. The context of that is some really tough stuff going on. But in the middle, in the middle of that, there's hope. In the middle of that, there's, a, there's an announcement that a child will be born, that a son will be given. So let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7 together. I'm going to read them aloud and I know you guys have been sitting for a while and if you would, if you're, feel comfortable, you're able to, would you stand with me as we, as, I, as we read the Word? I'll read it aloud and you can follow along with me um, in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Uh, of course, you can follow along on the screen as well. Let me read. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this this is the word of the lord would you pray with me father in heaven thank you again for this word this message that um, we're hearing today from isaiah and i pray that you will give us understanding into it and lord I, I pray that as we go through this month, the, the, uh, this Christmas season, the holidays, the Advent, and whatever we want to call it, and whatever we're about, Lord, I pray that we don't miss the Son that was given for us. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You to have a seat, please? And um, let me just kind of sum up the the big the big theme the main theme that I want us to explore today this this is that the hope of Christmas is this let's talk about the hope of Christmas but it is that a sun is given a sun is given to reveal a great light increase our joy and bring lasting peace a sun is given to I've got it up there somewhere to reveal a great light. Increase our joy and bring lasting peace. Look at those first couple of verses with me. A son is given to reveal a great light. This passage starts off with, "But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish." Um, ask the question, the, the obvious question, when, when it starts out with, "But," well, what changed? What was going on? And who is this Her? If we back up a couple of verses, at the end of chapter 8, we see that Isaiah is, is, has written this down, that they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their King and their God and, their, and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into, into thick darkness. Well, this is going on. This is the situation that Isaiah, Isaiah is speaking in. This, this is the, the situation that is building and suddenly... The message from Isaiah to these people at this time is but fortunes will change. The darkness is going to break forth into light. The the gloom is going to be removed. The anguish will be no thing anymore. So the historical situation here is that the nation of Israel had been divided. And it had been divided for some time. There was a great king, David, right? And his son Solomon ruled after him. The wisest man who ever lived. we got the Proverbs attributed to him. And the whole book attributed to him. And even maybe some of Ecclesiastes. You've got these, this great kingdom. But the kingdom was divided after Solomon into north and south. And the north kind of followed its own way and, and the south sort of marginally kept faith with God and they had a few good kings who were faithful to Him and, and led the people in worshiping God truly. But the time had come when both nations during Isaiah's time were, were doing their own thing. In fact, it says they, were, they will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. They will look to the earth They will look to human means and human resources and they will find nothing hopeful there. This time when the nation was divided and they were seeking after other things was also a time of great oppression. And the nation of Syria, which is actually where the modern nation of Syria is, had been oppressing the Northern Kingdom, and so all of that area around the Sea of Galilee, all of those those northern tribes had been under the oppression of Syria for a long time and and If you thought Syria was bad, here comes Assyria. Try not to get them confused. Assyria or the places of northern iraq and and further on into into um, uh, or parts of Turkey and what we we would think of as those those locations today, the city of Nineveh was the capital of assyria if that if that helps you out, and you know the story of Jonah, but they were oppressing these northern kingdoms, the land of zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea near near the um probably the the south um, the southwest corner of the Sea of Galilee and the land beyond the Jordan on the other side of the east side of, of of the Sea of Galilee, known as Galilee of the Nations. All of these areas had been pressured by these foreign armies and foreign nations. But Isaiah says that things are gonna turn around, that they were brought into contempt, but in the latter time, he has made glorious these these locations. In fact, in verse two, he says, "The people who were walking in darkness now they've seen a great light. The deep darkness has turned into a light shining on them." How did this happen? What turned this around? I mean, that's that should be the question. And I'm sure if you were in Isaiah's time and you were dealing with all of those things, you'd be wondering, "What what changed? What hope is there?" What, what could possibly be happening? It's as if all of the people, when the light, shed, the, sh- the light shone, it came on, they were just awakened. Like they'd come out of some kind of a mind control. And suddenly they realized where they were and what they were doing and what life was all about. Some of my daughters have watched this movie called and I guess at some point in the movie, all these people are under this kind of mind control, and they wake up and they realize, "Wait a minute! What's going on here?" And maybe it's like the Matrix when when you took the you know whichever pill it was, and suddenly you woke up and you realized, "Oh, this is what the real world is really like." Except for for them, it wasn't waking up in a dystopian uh, uh, future. It was waking up to light. It was waking up to. Th- Things have changed. It's good now. How did it go from so bad to now gloriously good? You might, um, you might help to maybe put yourself in um, the, the, the shoes or the sandals or the bare feet of some of the, the people who were released from Vietnam in 1973. Soldiers or airmen or or pilots or whoever who were who were taken captive or shot down in that par- part of the world and were held captive as POWs for years and years and years. I was reading about one of these POWs who had who had been there for almost nine years. He had been a prisoner of war for almost nine years, the longest any American serviceman has ever been held. As a prisoner of war, as far as we know. In fact, at one point of uh, five years of his life, he had no contact, absolutely zero contact with any other American, with anybody who he could connect with and had any kind of, any kind of fellowship with. That situation nearly broke him. I was watching the uh, Ken Burns series. Uh, a few months ago the series that he did not I think it was over a little over a year ago on the Vietnam War and I was watching and I was hearing the stories and they're talking about what that was like to finally be released when they said, okay, we're going to let you go and they handed them back over to the Americans and they welcomed them back and they looked at them like what happened to you? But the joy that they experienced when they put their feet back on their own native soil here in, in America. And the joy that they felt when the light of this nation shone on them. What a huge what a huge difference that made. When the darkness lifts from the people in Israel's time, a light shines on them. It's huge. It makes a big difference. So here's, what, here's, how this, here's how this developed, because when did this happen? Was there, a, there was a, a little bit of light in this, in this nation. If you read the history of Israel, a little bit of light, things turned around a little bit, and God protected them. God kept Assyria from coming into the southern kingdom, even after wiping out the entire northern kingdom. But see, Isaiah is interested in what's going on up north. When did the people of Zebulun and Naphtali, the, the region of Galilee, the Galilee of the nations, receive this light? And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, we're told, Matthew chapter 4, he writes, now, when he heard, that's Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into where? Galilee leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. So you see, this 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 light, this light that was to come came. It, he, he came. He came to these people. He came to those who were walking in darkness. In Isaiah's time, it was Assyria and other nations who were oppressing this northern kingdom, oppressing Galilee. In the first century time, when Jesus came and was a light to them, it was the Romans who were oppressing them in this northern area. And we've seen that as we've worked through uh, the Gospel of Mark together all year long. Well, this light did come. In fact, in John in John chapter twelve, verses thirty-four to thirty-six, uh, some come to Jesus, asking him, "Tell us about this. We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up?" That's a that's a good question. Jesus has been saying the Son of Man will be lifted up. Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. What is Jesus saying? Yes, he will be lifted up. And what he meant by that was lifted up on a cross. He will. But while He is the light of the world, walking in them, revealing Himself to others, He's saying, believe in Me. Put your faith in Me. Trust in Me. Walk in the light that I am showing you, that I am revealing, so that you may become sons of light. Jesus, though, was Himself cast into darkness. That is, He was lifted up on the cross to make many children of light. That's what what this prophecy in Isaiah is pointing to. A son is given to reveal a great light. Jesus Himself to reveal a great light so that we would have an opportunity to become children of light. Amen? Amen? A son is given... To reveal a great light, a sun is given to increase our joy. So follow with me back in Isaiah, the next few verses. What does he say? He says, You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice as with joy at the harvest. They are glad. You see what's going on here? This change of fortunes, from darkness to light, from doom and gloom to something glorious, brought with it joy. It changed. It changed everything. It says, you have multiplied the nation. The idea there is that the people finally came back. They came back to the land. They began building homes there again. They began to to repopulate. They began to set up little schools and, and little stores. And they began to trade again. And life came back to that place some of you, most of us, will never know what it's like to be in a position like they were in. If you were, if you were to read some stories from, say, the Civil War time, of what happened when entire, you know, entire communities or villages or small cities um, left to go off and fight a war and almost none of them returned. Or during, the, during World War II era when all of the families packed up their little children and sent them off into the country so that they could avoid being bombed to death in the city of London and places like that. Well, once the war was over, they returned. They came back again. They made homes again. They rebuilt They set up their economy. They had life again. They had babies again. You see what's going on here? The joy of this 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 light, excuse me, has multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They're home again. They're back again. And look at what they're doing. They're rejoicing as with joy at the harvest. They've had a bumper crop. They have have brought in the harvest. They've, They've actually had time to plant the seed and to see it grow. And now it has come in again. And they're rejoicing as they do at the end of the harvest when they have their harvest parties, when they celebrate what they have, the abundance that they have. And it says they are glad as when they divide the spoil that's when that's when the armies came back, the soldiers, the warriors came back with all of the the treasures that they had accumulated on their their mission. I've been over to the Iraq. we were told very, very clearly, don't take anything. <laughs> don't bring back any treasures. I had friends who I served with who were went down to uh, Iraq and Kuwait uh, back in 91 and 92. And they came back with treasures. Little things, a little sword, a little weapon of this kind of that, or a, a flag, or, or whatever, and um, kind of fish. I kind of feel like, man, I kind of missed out on that because they put a stop to all of that. But that's not how things were at that time. I mean, when you went off and you fought a battle, then you collected up all those resources, and maybe that's that's what you brought back because that was going to be your livelihood. There was no salary waiting for you. The factory job wasn't waiting for you again. How are you going to make ends meet? So that was that was what they did, and the idea is that this is a this is a spoil, this is an abundance this this conquest has brought joy they're glad as they divide it up they they've got so many resources now they can divide it up with other people It's blessing everyone it's as if they found great treasure and look what happens next in verse four. For the yoke of the burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken. These were the things, these were the instruments to drive cattle to work, to get them to do things. And and I would say that they are also the instruments that were used to drive slaves at that time and to put them into submission. And and Isaiah is is putting this prophecy down and said, all of those have been broken. They have been broken. The oppressors—think of Assyria, think of think of that 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 evil great nation that has been oppressing us. Uh, think of Rome, who's been oppressing Galilee and is oppressing Israel. They they no longer have those instruments of oppression anymore. He says they they broke them on the day of Midian you got to go all the way back to Judges chapter 6 and 7 to see what happened on the day of Midian when a man named Gideon, a fearful man who was in a, in a hole in the ground threshing his wheat so that the Midianites wouldn't see what he was doing and come and take his grain for themselves. When the angel of the Lord came to him and said, You are going to help deliver my people. Go. I'm going to give you a great army and you're going to wheedle them down to a a small uh, couple of companies of 300 men and then then you're going to go and you're going to watch me have a victory over Midian. This great enemy that you're facing. And on that day, they were released from their oppression. That's what's going to happen. Great joy. An increase of their joy. Every boot of the tramping warrior. Every garment rolled in blood is going to be burned as fuel for the fire. We don't need these anymore. We have returned from the war. I don't need the instruments or the the clothing, the apparel of war anymore because I'm going back to rejoice with my family. I remember when I returned from Iraq in 2009. I turned in my helmet. I turned in my protective body armor. And they, they went to some supply sergeant down in the Kuwait, and they put him somewhere and I never saw him again. I handed in my M16 to the armorer, and I said, I've got my little, my little slip so that I can still make it into the dining facility without my weapon. Uh, after seven, almost seven months of that, I felt very, very naked and exposed as I walked around, you know, Camp Victory for a day and a half without my weapon. But when I came home, the reason why I left all of those there is because I wasn't going to need them where I was going. I was going home to rejoice with my family. I was going home so that I could see my wife um, picking me up from the airport. She's like, Hi, honey, I really want to kiss you, but i got to put my stuff in there and we'll drive away and we'll kiss later. And and the joy of of, of driving down to a, a, a park and seeing my little girls running across the yard when they go, Daddy's home! We didn't expect that. We didn't know that was happening. Were you there for that too, Elena? I don't know. Well, I thought one of my nieces was there too, but maybe my maybe my mother-in-law was there. And Anyway, my kids were so overjoyed, and I was so overjoyed, and I got to see them. I didn't need those things anymore. I didn't need my rifle in my home. I didn't need my... A-C-H in my IOTV and all of those other acronyms. Because I was home. How is that possible, though? How how is that possible for Israel? How is it possible for them? How is it possible for us to increase our joy? It's because of what Jesus has done. Romans 5, in fact. Romans 5, verses 6-8 to says this. Is that right? Yes, that's, that's my next... That's the next one I want to show you guys. If I can get there, I know it's up there. Okay, yes, it's right there. Romans 5, verses 6 to 8 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us do you see what's happening there? Jesus had come he was born he revealed himself to the nations he was lifted up and he did that so that our joy would increase in him Uh, the uh, again, Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, writes about this kind of joy that he has in Christ. And look at uh, all of the things that he says in his letter. I want to preach this entire letter because I was there this weekend with a, with a men's retreat. But just look at a few of these things. Philippians 1.4, he prays with joy. He, uh, in verses, or chapter 1, verse 18, he rejoices that Christ is being proclaimed. In in chapter 2 verse 2 he has joy in others he says complete my joy by of, of being together and being like minded and having the same love and he's joyful in that unity that others have in Christ and then he says in chapter 2 verse 17 that he wants to rejoice and he's glad with them and he rejoices with them and why does he rejoice In that verse he says, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering, even if I lose my life in the situation that I'm in, I am glad, I rejoice. And I invite you to rejoice with me. And so a few verses later he says... Hey, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then, a chapter later, he says again, Rejoice in the Lord, always, again, I will say, rejoice. And if that was enough, as he's finally finishing up his final comments to them, he tells them, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You have shown me that you are my brothers and my sisters. And I rejoice in that as well. Why? All of the things that he's rejoicing in come at a time when he was experiencing gloom and anguish and misery in jail. He was being oppressed by the Roman system. And even in that horrible situation, the natural response would have been to rail. The natural response would have been to cry out. The natural response would have been to fight back. The natural response would have been to hire lawyers. (laughs) But He doesn't do that. He's full of joy because... I'm contextualizing a little bit here. Because the hope of Christmas hadn't worn off because he had experienced the son he knew him and his and the son was his treasure and he was worth it in philippians chapter 3 i don't have this one up on the verse on the on the screen but he says i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus my lord see Jesus for Paul was the spoil that he had that he had brought back he was the great treasure he was the bumper crop he was the reason for his increased joy because his joy was in the lord he in fact was the reason that in the midst of all of that strife Paul could have peace A son is given to reveal a great light. A son is given to increase our joy. A son is given... I missed something, didn't I? To bring lasting peace. That's where I'm going. But you saw there that Jesus laid down His life for us to increase our joy. Amen? A son is given to bring lasting peace. And so, back in Isaiah, verses 6-7. to These words that are very probably very familiar to many of you, some of you, if you've ever sung in choirs before, maybe even sung this. For to us a son, a child is born to us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Here is a royal birth announcement. Here the son is born. And if you've been reading Isaiah, I know you haven't been reading it recently, but if you were to, to flip back to chapter 7, verse 14, you'd see that the prophet came to Ahaz, the son of Uzziah, and said, God Himself, the Lord Himself, will bring you a sign. The virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. And that that little birth announcement there was a pre-shadowing a pre-prefiguring where Matthew picks up on that in Matthew chapter 1 and he sees this is this is the announcement the virgin will conceive and bear son this is Mary bearing Jesus they called his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins savior the Lord saves Jesus. He's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. This announcement is picked up again in chapter 9 when a, son is, a child is born, a son is given, and look what his government is going to be like. The government, it says, shall be upon his shoulder. Rather than the shoulder, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian, rather than the government of this other nation, rather than a government that puts all of the pressure on its people, this government is going to be on his shoulder. He is going to carry it. Himself, this son who is to be born. He's got a different agenda. He's got a different plan. He's got a different purpose. Jesus, in fact, said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's what Jesus came to do during this time. And so, and look, at, look, at, look at what He is called. He says, and His name shall be called, and you heard these titles before, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God everlasting Father Prince of peace now some of these some of these titles may have been passed around but there's nobody who in in the history of Israel who received these titles collectively they're piled on uh, on On this son. These are titles of divinity. These are titles that look beyond any human child that was to be born, any prince of the king. This is not looking at King Hezekiah. This is not looking at a later king, Joash or Josiah, or any of those kings that that managed to do some good things before Israel was gone. These are titles that point directly to Jesus, they are his. And so he says, this government and of peace, there will be no end. There will be an increase, an ever-expanding or multiplying government. There will be no end to it. It's going to be forever. He's going to be on the throne of David. So now we see again this messianic anticipation that David was going to have a son. That was going to... a descendant, if you will, who is going to do all of this glorious work. And this was something to hope in. This was something to hope in when the situation was dark and, and, and gloomy. When Isaiah was thinking, boy, um, I really, really, really liked the previous king. You know, came, when King Uzziah died, I was broken. He was a good one. And his son is rotten and nasty. I just read about him this week in Second Kings um, chapters. Well, what was what was it? Second Kings chapter sixteen, Second Chronicles chapter twenty-eight, and you read about this King Ahaz that's been talked about in these last couple of chapters, and you think, man, this guy was a piece of work. He was messed up. And Isaiah saying. The king who is coming, the son who is given, is going to blow these kings out of the water. The best kings that we've ever had are going to be no match. David's kingdom didn't last forever. But when this king comes, when this son is given, it will last forever. And it will be a lasting peace. An eternal peace. He will do this. How does this look to to Christ? How does this point to Christ? How did Jesus fulfill this? Well, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, said this. Paul says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 14 and 16, 16, speaking of Christ, he said, He, for he himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, thus or so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is what Jesus did. He came, the Messiah, the Son is given. This this lasting peace is between us and God, our Savior, our Creator, our, 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 our God forever. And He will never change. He will go on. But we, who are divided from Him by our sins, there's a a wall of hostility between us and, and God and between us and others. He has taken that down. We have peace with God and we have peace with one another. We have peace with other people. Jesus bore our guilt on the cross so that we would have lasting peace. That's what he did. The guilt is that, if you want to think of it in terms of hostility, that Paul was talking about in Ephesians, it's the shots fired. It's the, it's the we who have sinned. We who have created this situation for ourselves. Um, we've inherited Adam. Yes. And then every day, we willfully sin against our God. Jesus came to bear that guilt. The guilt of those sins on the cross. So we would have a lasting peace. So, what are we to do? Let me me invite you to just kind of, as, as I sum up, think of these three things. I want to invite you to trust Jesus. I don't think there's much... Uh, I think I don't think there's a better way to prepare for Christmas, prepare for what's to come, prepare for this time of year, um, uh, with, uh, aside from considering your relationship with the Lord. Are you trusting in Him? Have you put your trust in Him? Is your faith in Him? Uh, have you seen the light and received that light? And, and have you become a children a child of the light. It, 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 it's it's as if you know trusting Jesus is like he's like being awoken from that mind control and getting your attention on His glory during this season. Maybe the mind control of commercialism or the racket that some people sometimes call it. Uh, being, being waking up from the temporary celebration the lights that go up for a short period of time unless you're like me and they stay up all year long but to, rec- to recognize that all of this commotion of the holiday season can easily darken us to the light of Jesus so if we put our trust in Him make Him the focus of some of our attention This week, we will walk in the light. And then, be joyful. Boy, we talk about joy. You know, joy of the holiday season. And you've got your little decorations. And some of them say, joy. And others say, joy. And those are great. But have you considered that, that joy is, is meant to be talked about and shared and it's not just, it's not just a feeling that you try to grab onto when you, when you listen to your favorite holiday songs or watch your favorite holiday movies or do your favorite holiday activities. But it's rooted deep into Jesus when He is the great treasure of your life. Don't allow the other stuff of the holiday season to keep you from that joy. Maybe like me, you need to get rid of a bunch of stuff during this holiday season and let it loose and let it go so that you can focus on what's truly joyful about this Christmas season, what Jesus has done for us. And then share peace. If, if He is our peace, if, if we have peace with God, Brothers and sisters, we can have peace with one another. It might be hard fought on our part. It might be difficult. There are people in your life who it's going to be challenging to deal with. Their relationships, that just are not working. In the name of Jesus, and on the basis of our peace with God, maybe seek to offer peace. Maybe to your neighbor who's been annoying you. (laughs) That would never happen to any of us. Or maybe a family member. Maybe somebody in this room that you can offer peace to. The hope of Christmas is this. A son is given (laughs) to reveal a great light, to increase our joy, to bring lasting peace. So, as you enter this Christmas season, I pray that your hope will be in Him, in Jesus, the Son who was given for you, for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this, this Word today, and I thank You for teaching us. Um, and, um, God, I pray that You will help us to respond faithfully to You um, in the way that You would have us to do today. Um, help us to identify those areas in our life where where we need to trust You. Those areas in our life where um, our joy, our rejoicing is, is small, is maybe a little bit halting. Um, places in our life where, where the The good news needs to penetrate and give us peace. Peace about some things going on. Peace about some relationships that we might have. And and show us how to walk in those. Show us how to walk in the light and and how to trust you in all of those situations, God. We um, love you. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name.